1: Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday,
0: June 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippians can soon use domestic violence as grounds for divorce. Here are two perspectives on what that could mean for the abused. Jackson State is undergoing major changes in an effort to fix its financial problems. It's Men's Health Week. Find out the biggest concerns here in the Magnolia
2: State. If you don't take care of yourself, do the calculation where you are with your kids and grandkids and subtract five years and you'll sort of figure out whether you'll go to high school graduation with them
0: and a summer learning event to help mississippi families curb loss and prevent delays that's all coming up this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio July 1st marks a day when Mississippi victims of domestic violence can file for divorce with a greater sense of confidence. A change to the acceptable grounds for divorce provides hope for victims, their families, and their attorneys. Previously, domestic violence victims had to prove they suffered habitual, cruel, and inhuman treatment. Now the law defines domestic violence and acknowledges mental abuse as grounds for divorce. The law also allows domestic violence victims who are credible to be accepted as witnesses in their own cases. One victim of abuse spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier about her experience. She asked that we not use her name to protect her identity. She says the change is major to her case.
1: I filed for divorce last May. I had tried to kick him out of the house Months and months before that point, they refused to go. And again, divorce law being what it is, there's very little I could do at that point. And even after I filed, I realized I was going to be in danger. I, I talked to the police chief, and he advised me to get out of the house. And so I went to a women's shelter. I knew at that point that he was monitoring my emails, my phone calls, my anything he could get his hands on. I mean, he had changed passwords on a bunch of things in Mississippi. Apparently, with uh, restraining orders, you can only file on specific incidents. So patterns of abuse don't really count. It doesn't matter that he's been controlling. He doesn't matter he's been isolating me or that he's prevented me going places. All these kinds of things that signal when a man could get violent aren't considered. And I knew it was going to be very difficult to get out of. Again, because I, since I'd already been through a divorce, I knew that I couldn't get out without his permission.
3: In your first divorce, how were you able to get out of it when domestic violence was taking place?
1: He cut me off at every turn for about two and a half years. And finally, I think just because... The attorney was getting too expensive for him, he finally signed divorce papers. He left me with a ton of debt and whatever, but I was just willing to sign anything at that point.
3: What were you told your chances of getting out of it were?
1: I felt like I had a really good lawyer, and if anything... It wasn't so much that the law was going to work in my favor if I could just get enough evidence, if I could just get him to say something or do something. The things that he was doing, I was trying to actually keep track of them. Before, it was just this sort of blur of he's just doing stuff every day and, you know, what am I going to do? So now we've got a final hearing scheduled for December um, where I'm going to have to actually go to court over it and try to prove abuse. And that's something we filed for almost as soon as the, the law wind came out, that it was going to be in place by then. How will this law help you now? I'll be able to testify on my own behalf. And that is the major thing. I believe before and from the case laws I've read, it, it just seemed like most of the time women were not believed unless they had corroborating witnesses. And considering that 90 percent of it's happening in your own home, in isolation from anyone who was likely to support the woman um, because that's what abusers do. I didn't have a way to do that. Um, I mean, how was I going to explain that my husband would block me into the driveway if I tried to leave or throw things at me in the bedroom or delete uh, recordings of him screaming obscenities at me? Those are not the kinds of things that he was ever going to do in front of church friends. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Connie Smith is a family law attorney in Jackson. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier before the change, the law was challenging for attorneys as well.
4: It was, and there's nothing worse than having to tell a domestic violence victim, you know, who's finally gotten the courage to leave, even giving her any doubt in her mind that, you know, well, we might not have enough proof is enough to send her into a tailspin. And sometimes, sometimes send her right back to the abuser if she can't get out, if she can't get a divorce, or she knows she's going to be in a long legal battle that she can't afford. So it was very frustrating.
3: So in Mississippi, the two people have to agree to get a divorce if they want a divorce?
4: Either they both have to agree, or you have to be able to prove your grounds for divorce. When the two people agree, we call that an irreconcilable difference is divorce. But in all other states except one other state, if one person alleges that the marriage is irreconcilable, then it's irreconcilable. But in Mississippi, both of them have to say the marriage is irreconcilable. And if you can't get your spouse to agree to that, then you have to have one of the enumerated grounds for divorce, one of which is habitual cruel and human treatment, which we're talking about. And then the others are things like adultery and abuse of drugs and insanity and some other things. It's difficult, and especially for domestic violence victims, the abuser is not going to do anything to make it easier for the abused spouse. In fact, if they were to agree, that would give up control, which all this is about usually. So to me, it seems to hurt domestic violence victims the most, even with the new law. They still have to litigate it. They still have to go to court and prove it.
3: What is the benefit of adding domestic
1: violence grounds?
4: The non-physical aspects of habitual cruel and human treatments are now considered as abuse, whereas they weren't always considered abuse before. And by that I mean threats, verbal and emotional abuse, those things where you're not actually being physically harmed but you are being abused, now has been enumerated and recognized as part of the abuse.
0: The changes will take effect in two weeks. Coming up, JSU leaders say the new budget plan will help the school get on track. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org.
0: Jackson State University is continuing with plans to reduce its budget for the upcoming school year. On Thursday, the State College Board approved plans for the university to merge departments and eliminate jobs and unfilled positions. The university is cutting 42 staff positions and 65 vacant positions. Along with cutting its budget, the university will borrow $6 million to recover from recent financial struggles. The reduction plan also includes consolidating departments, which will affect nine that previously stood alone. Interim President Dr. Rod Page says the changes will also include pausing the men's and women's golf teams for two years.
6: There are many places where we're consolidating. Many of the schools of where we had multiple departments will combine departments and combine administrative units where we spread ourselves a little bit too thin and cost the citizens of Mississippi too much uh, this university, according to the uh, approved audits, uh, had, over the last four or five years, extended its expenditures well past our, our income. And so we had to reduce spending. And the way to do that was to make the adjustments that we've made. There's been a lot of focus on the financial matters here, and a lot of focus on, sometimes, deficits, and sometimes things are less positive. But not nearly enough focus on the excellence of the university, the services being provided for students, and the championships that students are receiving and how well they're being served and how well they're honoring us to be our students. The university is in solid condition, continues to serve students even better than before.
0: Marvel A. Turner is interim VP for finance and CFO. He says the university is closing the books for the current fiscal year.
7: We already have uh, our revenues uh, you know, for fiscal year 2017. And so right now, we're closing the books. All expenditures are being added in. And so uh, to give you an exact dollar of how much money is needed to close the book really is not something that I can give you today. We started the year, obviously, with some issues that we had to address. And so we have been uh, taking steps. Uh, The Measures implemented by President Page, uh, there was some bleeding. We stopped the bleeding. And so we... uh, Right now, we're taking a look at all of the areas, making sure that all the expenses are recorded on the books. And uh, so I'm not going to sit here today and tell you that it's going to be, you know, $1 below or $1 above. But uh, we are working uh, in that direction. Uh, we would certainly like for it to be in the black. but We're, we're, we're still uh, recording activity as we speak.
0: Incoming President Dr. William Bynum says he'll do a deep dive into the finances when he takes over at the university.
5: While I've received some initial preliminary information, there's still a whole lot of information to receive. So uh, I won't know that, of course, until I'm officially in, in the seat uh, July 1, uh, but we'll immediately get to work on the financial aspect. And I'm sure the staff has done a great job in terms of uh, doing, making some of the tough decisions they need to make in order to present a, a balanced budget. And uh, again, it's from looking at the finances, from visiting and meeting with folks, uh, key stakeholders of the university, making sure, again, that we're doing the best thing that we can by students. So a lot of that's, uh, but it's, yeah, it's quite detailed. Uh, for the first 100 days.
0: Bynum tells MPB's Alexis Ware, despite the public complaints during the selection process, he's focused on his role.
5: And that's for the board to decide. I stay in my lane uh, again. So uh, my, my job, of course, is to run the university. Uh, their job is to decide, again, in terms of policies that relates there.
3: And how are your plans with the transition into your new position going?
5: Uh, so far, so good. We've had an opportunity to visit a few chapters, Atlanta, Memphis, Huntsville. Uh, we'll be with the Madison chapter uh, this, this Saturday. I uh, have also had opportunity to get into a couple of churches, uh, New Horizon, uh, New Hope, uh, and again, we'll be visiting other churches. Uh, so, again, we're just getting a great feel for the, for the area, uh, but it's, so far, transition's been good, uh, very good re- reception so far.
0: All changes go into effect on July 1st. Coming up, the doctor is in. Dr. Rick DeShazo has health awareness tips in honor of Men's Health Week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This
0: is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's Men's Health Week across the nation. Anchored by a congressional health education program, the entire month of June is celebrated across the country with screenings, health fairs, media appearances, and other health education and outreach activities. A recent analysis by personal finance website WalletHub ranks Mississippi as one of the worst states for working dads. Analysts found that health factors are actually cause for concern. The state is ranked lowest for life expectancy. Each year, Men's Health Week is celebrated heading into Father's Day. In honor of the men in the Magnolia State, Dr. Rick DeShazo tells us the biggest ways to become more health aware.
2: The biggest problem that we have with men is not that there is a big distribution difference in the types of diseases they have, except for urogenital things like breast cancer and prostate cancer. But the real problem is that men are hesitant to get screening. Women are accustomed to getting screening, for instance, the annual pelvic pap and mammogram and so forth. Men are not trained to do that. Uh, And it's also hard for us to admit that we need to see somebody about anything. We're taught that being manly is do it yourself. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that results in the fact uh, that many men present with uh, common preventable diseases, things like lung cancer and prostate cancer in particular, as well as colon cancer with advanced disease because they did not get the routine screening that's available is cheap in most cases, and uh, and should be gotten. The big, big problem, in particular in Mississippi, is prostate cancer because men don't like to have digital rectal exams, which we do as part of that evaluation. We feel the prostate, make sure there are no knots and bumps in it that suggest it may be cancerous, and so they delay getting that done. Prostate cancer is a slow-growing cancer, and by the time it really causes symptoms, Uh, we've got a real problem. So the best way to deal with it is to screen for it. We have two very good tests for uh, prostate cancer, the prostate-specific antigen called the PSA, and the digital rectal examination. There's some controversy about uh, when, who should get what, but in general, most of us know what to do as health providers, and in combination, those two tests uh, are really quite effective in helping us stage Where prostate disease is. So, that is an especial problem not only in men, but in African American men. And one of the purposes of this month is to try to get the attention of African American males who are even more reticent than uh, Caucasian males in getting that looked after. So, Prostate cancer screening and colon cancer screening are very important for men.
0: Is heart disease the leading cause of death among men and women, for that matter?
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, what has happened is uh, women have caught up with men. It's always been a problem for both groups. But now that uh, men have cut back a little bit on smoking and women have cut up a little bit on smoking... They're tied, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because we still have folks in Mississippi who smoke and smoke not only in front of their wives but their children. And we now know that secondhand smoke is a big, big risk factor for cancer later in life.
0: And it's not just smoking for heart disease? Is it lifestyle?
2: Smoking is an additive risk factor. There are certain risk factors for what we call early mortality, early death. And you know that the average Mississippian lives five years less long than the average American. We're already behind the rest of the country in our lifespan. That's a lot. And that's because of our bad behavior. Yeah, you know, it's fun behaving badly. We love to eat that fried food, and we love to watch the TV and drink that beer and gain that weight, and we don't like to get screened for our cholesterol, and we don't want to know about our BMI. We don't even want to know the number. So when you add the obesity factor, the lack of screening, the smoking exposure, Uh, and whatever familial inherited risk factors you have, we're living in a worst-case scenario. If everybody wants to see their grandkids, well, if you don't take care of yourself, do the calculation where you are with your kids and grandkids and subtract five years, and you'll sort of figure out whether you'll go to high school graduation with them.
0: Dr. Rick DeShazo is a professor of medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. He's also co-producer of Southern Remedy here at MPB Think Radio and MPB TV. Dr. Rick DeShazo, thank you so much for being
2: here. Thank you for asking me.
0: June is Men's Health Month. Coming up, a special summer event to help your child avoid summer slide. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio
5: informative mpb news stories the local shows you love up-to-date severe weather info and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of mississippi you're listening to mpb think radio
6: In December of 2014, the Obama administration announced the opening of diplomatic ties with Cuba and began easing restrictions on trade and travel to the country. We will begin to normalize relations between our two countries. Now President Trump looks to tighten those restrictions. I'm Ari Shapiro, the evolving U.S.-Cuba relationship this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
5: Today at 4 on
6: NPB Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi families have options to keep children engaged in learning activities during summer months. From day camps to partial programs, many are designed to prevent summer learning loss, a condition where youth forget information learned during the previous school year. Mississippi Public Broadcasting is getting in on the intervention with the Shape Up and Read event. Sheila Brown is Director of Early Childhood at MPB. She tells us it's important for parents to keep track of their child's progress. You
3: definitely want to keep a record of what your child's reading scores are throughout the school so that when it comes to the summer, then you're focusing on them extending those things that they learned in the classroom. So... Reading is one of the most important things children need to be doing during the summer. I mean, find books that interest them, find books that they pick, that they go, you take them to the bookstore, you take them to the library, and they pick these books. Because if the children pick the book, they're most likely to read it. If you just hand them a lot of books, they're going to put them to the side and go find something else to do. So I really think that it's very important that you, you allow them to have their choice as far as reading during the summer.
0: A first, second, third grader. They're at a stage where they're starting to read. Is it beneficial for the parent to be involved, like to have the child read to them or maybe read together? Does it help if the parent reads to the child?
3: Yes, it does. Every night, every day, read to your children. We've introduced uh, many tips for parents. And and one of the biggest ones is that when children do have books and they have picked these books, that you find time to read them yourselves. And when they come back to tell you what happened, you know, first middle, uh, last in the story, then you're familiar with the book. So I think that's very important that the parents read books along with their children, that parents read books and introduce that book to the child. Say, hey, I read Little Red Hand Makes a Pizza. Then you go and read that story with them.
0: Is it important or beneficial to ask your kids what they read, to ask them questions about it? What was the book about? Yes. Who were the main characters? Yes.
3: That's why reading the book first so that you will have the entire story in your head. When the child comes, to you say, hey, I want to tell you about this story. You already know. And then you can ask those open-ended questions about what happened throughout the story. And then you're able to extend that. said, hey, since you've read that book, now this is what we're going to do. So having an activity that follows that book, that's definitely beneficial to the children.
0: Should there be any writing associated with the reading or is that too much like work for a kid? (laughs) No, I think you try what works. If there's a child that loves to write and will
3: love to write to retell the story, then allow them to do that. You can act it out. You can write. You can draw pictures. All of that works for children.
0: It sounds like if you just let them go, maybe they're not going to do as well as if you are involved as a parent.
3: A parent needs to be involved in the reading of all the books that are within the the house. Books are brought in there. It's not just for the child. It's for the parents, too, that they are very familiar with the authors. They're familiar with the stories themselves.
0: Now, the Education Department at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, which you represent, gets books into the hands of kids. How do you do that?
3: At each event that we have, it's very important that we provide books. We're trying to help with the summer learning laws, with the reading initiatives that are out there by building home libraries. That's very important to us that there are more than enough books throughout the house for the children to read. So Mississippi Public Broadcast can put books in their hands. We we are definitely driven to do that
0: and parents can find out more, and the kids can have a lot of fun this Saturday with the Summer Learning Family Fun Day. Tell us about that.
3: They're going to (laughs) be at the Jackson Convention Complex, which is downtown. This will be our third year at that location. The time is from 9 to 2, and we will have hands-on activities uh, related to our PBS programming. Uh, We'll have characters walking around. There will be some live show from Bob the Builder. There will be three shows, and we have some great vendors who will be there. And they're all excited to be a part of this event as they, too, are addressing the the summer loss and and reading game.
0: This is a free event? It
3: is a free event. Please come. Have a great time. And it's inside. It is inside.
0: So if it rains, we
3: are good. We are good. I watched the weather this morning, yes. (laughs) We invite the parents to do those activities right along with the children. Um, We make space for for them to sit on the floor or stand by, you know, at the table and do those things with them. Because a lot of these activities are for parents to be there to watch how their children are, are working, um, doing these activities. So it's, it's a lot of fun for the kids. It's a lot of fun for the kids. So it's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of fun for me. <laughs> it's
0: fun for everybody. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sheila Brown is the Director of Early Childhood at uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's called Shape Up and Read.
3: Shape Up and Read, yes, yes. This
0: Saturday, 9 to at the Jackson Convention Complex. Sheila, thank you so much.
3: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: According to the Heckinger Report, if the children don't do reading and other activities to keep their brains firing at optimal levels, they will need weeks, if not months, to get back up to speed. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Gasol Gardner. At 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other think radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the mpb public media app from the apple or google play stores i'm karen brown join us again monday morning at 8:30 for the next mississippi edition it's only on mpb think radio
1: Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at